Good evening, everyone. Um, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3 today, or this evening, <clears throat> verses 21 to 27. Okay. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. That's a message or a, a passage of scripture that's near and dear to most of us. Um, it's loaded. We could have a year's sermons on that particular passage, I suppose, but um, let's just throw up a quick prayer to Lord and just ask him to bless this message today. Um, Father, we just thank you that um, we are in this room remembering what you've done on the cross in a special way, um, in a very personal way, remembering what you've done in our lives by the spilt blood of Jesus Christ on that brutal cross 2,000 years ago. Uh, everything before it looked forward to it and everything afterwards looks back to it and yet looks forward to a time when we shall be more truly closer to Christ than perhaps we are today. Even though we are close, even though we are redeemed, we are sons and daughters of God, we wait with anticipation, as Peter says, to the treasure that's stored up in heaven for us. So, Father, help us to understand the depth and the seriousness and the solemnity of the cross, but also help us to revel and delight in what it means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I was clearing through my father's stuff um, shortly after he died, nearly eight years ago, and I, I came across this. It's a small cross. Now, my dad was never a man for wearing jewelry or any sort of adornment or anything like that. I was rather surprised to find this in his little bits and bobs. And I have a feeling that it could have belonged to his father, because there were another, another few items as well belonging to my grandfather in that box. It's rather unusual. It's not a crucifix. It doesn't have the figure of Christ on it. It's just a simple Christian cross. And as I dug this out this evening in preparation for this message, um, it set me thinking uh, about what do actually people think about when they look on a cross and to different people, the cross means uh, vastly different things. To some people, I suppose, it's just a bit of jewelry or adornment that we wear, and it's no more and more less. To others, and, and we can bore witness to this around us, it might be a lucky charm in some way. To others, the cross might symbolize, and this might be prevalent in our society, and especially what's happened over the last 20, 30 years of a narrow-minded, sort of bigoted worldview that thankfully is on the way out, and some Members of society would wish that all things to do with Christianity would be forever erased. And then there's another level of hate 
towards the cross where you have satanic cults who are moved to fury and to anger when they see the crucifix or indeed when they see the cross. Um, and they take that violent behavior to a degree which is militant. But how should we, how should Christians regard the cross? Um, again, the Christian regards the cross really as a great contradiction. I think if we look ourselves into our hearts, when we look on the cross, we see just as the song said, love and sorrow met at the cross. Sure, we understand that it was the vessel or it was the instrument that God used to bring forth the forgiveness of sins. We understand that there was an upright pole stuck in the ground and of course another one was put traversely or across it on which the poor uh, the poor victim or culprit or whatever who had transgressed the Roman law at that time would be hung, either nailed or tied to it. And this would go on at times for up to six, seven days, I, be I believe. It was a terrible, brutal and barbaric way of killing someone. But yet the Christian can see beyond the brutality and the, and the, and the barbaric um, degree of the cross and they can see something much deeper in it. They can see the loving, selfless act of God in sending down His Son to die for our sin. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you have affirmed what the cross actually means or not, it doesn't make any difference because it won't go away. Despite millennia of people trying to um, castigate, throw doubt on the cross, it's still with us, as firm as always. It's a standard that's still in the ground, as the standard of the pole was in Roman times, a testimony to an event that has taken place 2,000 years ago, which has repercussions for us today. And in fact, in today's society, it might even be more relevant than ever. A society that has lost all hope, um, all morals in, in a way, all moral, um, uh, all moral standards in a way. Uh, what I'm trying to say is everything is relative nowadays, but the cross bears witness to something certain and something definite which happened 2,000 years ago. It has tremendous implications for us as humans because on the cross, the relationship with God had with man was forever changed. And this thing didn't pop up. The cross didn't pop up 2,000 years ago out of the blue. All the Old Testament pointed towards the cross. Now, we, we don't have time to look into this completely, but we could just take three points of, of, of contact in the Old Testament. And we can see how it was hinted and it was foreshadowed right going back to the beginning of times. Even to Genesis 3.15, we read a fascinating account where God, after Adam and Eve sin, he's judging Satan. And he says in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, this is pointing to Jesus. Sorry, your offspring, this is, the satanic de demons, and her offspring, which is pointing to Jesus. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the bruising of Satan's head happened at the cross. Second point we look at briefly is Abraham. Remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke about, our, I mentioned in Abraham that Abraham, when he, um, later on in life, when he passed a great test of faith, when God tested him, he went up onto Mount Moriah with his son because God had asked him to go up there and to offer up Isaac, uh, or Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice. And Abraham, Abraham was obedient, and he went up. And just as the axe was about to fall on his son, God held back his hand. But 2,000 years later, God did not hold back his hand. God the Father 
did not stop the acts on God the Son, Jesus Christ. And we read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This is the Father speaking about the Son. He has put him to grief, whom his soul makes an offering for guilt. This also happened at the cross. A third and our final point where we look at the Old Testament foreshadowing of the cross is the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, climaxing on the day of Pentecost, or the day of atonement, sorry, where atonement was made for the sins of the people in the guise of the blood of, of goats and bulls. And this was really, it wasn't enough to take away the conscience of sin. And this particular ceremony points to a day when someone greater would spill his blood so that the sin of the world could be atoned for. And we see in Hebrews, speaking about Jesus Christ, but when Christ had suffered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, without the spilling of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the spilling of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus spilled his blood on the cross, we didn't have to spill ours. Some religions today believe that by spilling the blood, they're in some way atoning for their own sin, that they somehow are offering up to God a, a sacrifice which is pleasing to him, gaining merit and, and brownie points with a, with a righteous God. But Jesus spilled blood for sinners. There's no need for any more spilling of blood. There's no need for any more sacrifices. The Day of Atonement happened on the Day of Cross, the true Day of Atonement. Romans tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when we look at the cross today, sure, the Christian can look at it joyfully, but at the end of the day, the Christian has had to grapple with something in his past or her past. They've had to grapple with their sin. They've had to realize that they were sinners, that they have raised their fist to a holy God, that they are rebels in his kingdom. So Romans says that all have come short of the glory of God. The best Christian that we can think of, even Paul, when he was an old man at the end of his ministry, he said, I am the chief of sinners. It seems the holier he got, the more he was sanctified by the Holy Spirit during his walk, the more aware he was of where he had come from. One old preacher says, oh, he said, how, far, how hard it is for a man to find a sinner these days, he said. If I could only find a sinner, he said, I would have such good news for him. First John 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we, have, we make him, God, a liar and the truth is not in us. The Bible teaches elsewhere. You know what? When you sin, you're going to get paid your wages. The payback for sin, the Bible says, is death. Now, this is, of course, death in the Bible has two meanings. It means a physical death and a spiritual death, or eternal separation from God. And many people today think that they can possibly earn again their merit into God's good books, build up maybe a, a little store of, of, of brownie points that they can present to God on Judgment Day and say, these are my works. I've done more right than wrong. I deserve to be in your company forever in heaven. This is unbiblical. God does not save good people. He saves sinners. There is spiritual separation from God. That's really what hell is. It's spiritual separation from God, your maker. So God had to come down and take your eternal penalty because we only live, what, 80, 90 years? Even if we started in the morning of living a righteous and just life, keeping absolutely 100% to the Old Testament laws and the Ten Commandments, 
we'd still have the problem of what happened to the sins that we committed before that point. They'd have to be made up for. And the penalty for sin in the Bible is death, eternal death, separation from God. And we only live 90 years old. We couldn't eternally build up or make up through good works or through adhering to the law what we already have broken. So someone eternal, God, has to come in and fill our shoes, take our place on the cross, take the judgment on his shoulders. This is the only way that a sinful man, sinful woman, can make peace with God. And this happened on the cross. It is a great Friday indeed. It is a good Friday. You know, earlier I mentioned that for the Christians, the cross is a contradiction. On the cross, you see God's righteousness met with man's sinfulness. We see a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, Paul writes, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, another thing happened. God made it possible for man who was dead in his trespasses and sin to, to become alive in Christ. This is the good news. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, wonderful verses. And they say, Paul again writing, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and this he did by nailing it to the cross. And finally, let's look at the cross um, as a means of getting rid of this burden of sin that's on our shoulders, this curse that before we were believers, or indeed if you're not a believer in this room today, you may feel at this very time, this curse, this burden of sin that's on your shoulders, this was gotten rid of by the cross. We can see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us. In other words, he brought us back from the slavery of being in bondage to this weight of sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. We could keep on and on and on. We could have many sermons about the cross. We're only touching on the high points here. But what a loving God we have who would stoop down and do this for us. And just remember what Paul said in Romans, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to get good. You don't have to try and build yourself up to a state where, okay, I'm ready now to accept God. I'm ready now to do business with God. God wants you in your brokenness. That's where he can work with you. In closing, let us remember on this day that Jesus went to the cross willingly. He was not a victim. And I know maybe some people in this room who came from... Um, who were former Catholics as I was, that was one thing that, you know, when I'd go to the uh, Good Friday services, I, I always got the vibe that Jesus was unwittingly dragged, kicking and stomping to the cross. And when, when, I, when I begin to read the Bible and begin to see that's not what happened, I was flabbergasted that he actually willfully, and even as Hebrews says, he joyfully went to the cross. He doesn't need our pity. So we haven't come here tonight to remember pitiful thoughts about Jesus and what a terrible tragedy it was that he died on the cross. No, in fact, in Luke 23, there's a wonderful verse where there's a, a load of people following Jesus on the Via Della Rosa up with the cross and, and they're lamenting and they're crying. And he says, and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, turning to them, he said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children. 
Now, he was speaking prophetically here, but there was also a sense that he was, he was speaking here to the people saying, look at, weep for your own sin. Weep for your own transgressions. We leave the final word tonight with Spurgeon who said, you need not weep because Christ died one-tenth so much as because your sins rendered it necessary that he should die. You need not weep over the crucifixion, but weep over your transgressions for your sins. Na sorry, but weep over your transgression, for your sin nailed the Redeemer to the accursed tree. To weep over a dying Savior is to lament the remedy it would be. Uh, boy, I can't read my own writing. <laughs> to weep over a dying Savior is to, to, is to lament the remedy it would be to... Anyways, I can't, I apologize, I can't read the last thing. My computer kicked the bucket during the week and I held it in for repair. Anyways, um, let's pray and uh, ask God to bless our remaining time at the service. Father God, we just thank you so much that um, you've opened our eyes and let us, let us see the truth of the cross, let us see the, the profound uh, meaning of it, Lord. Um, Lord, we're, we're just flabbergasted at, at what's been done on the cross, Lord, by your, by your beautiful character, as Will prayed earlier. That you're the most wonderful, wise, beautiful, merciful, loving, forgiving God, that you would be so selfless as to offer yourself up on the cross for us. Father, help us to kick on and carry our own crosses because of this, remembering that Anything we do in this life as we're being made holy by the Holy Spirit, as he's helping us to be more and more Christ-like, it's not of our own doing. It's entirely of the Holy Spirit working within us. But Father, help us to carry our own cross as Jesus did, in our own way. It won't be as dramatic or as brave or as courageous or as perfect as Jesus did it. But if we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, it will be pleasing to him. Father, in these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.